0: You are locked on Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day,
2: and you are indeed locked on Magic. Today is while well, I'm recording this on June 23rd, 2020. You'll probably you'll probably be listening to it on June 24th, 2020. My name is Phil Rossman. I'm the expert insight editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr-omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're going to do a deeper dive into the 1995 Orlando Magic for their silver anniversary with Luke Hetrick of Spectrum Sports 360. He just completed a three-part docuseries on the 1995 Magic. So we'll talk about what their legacy is and what they mean to the city of Orlando. We'll have that conversation coming up in just a moment. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching for every download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering to Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Want to hear what the Houston Rockets have to say for some reason? Check out Locked On Rockets. We've also got Locked On Wizards, Locked On Nets, the two teams the Magic will be following most closely as we get closer to the presumption of the NBA season. No matter what your team is, whether it's in the NBA, the NFL, NHL, college, or MLB is back too in the MLB as well. You can find your favorite team on the Locked On Podcast Network. To search for every download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for, the Locked On Podcast Network is your team every day. Today's episode is also brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Additionally... The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the hosts of the Locked On Podcast Network, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, time is running out, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Before we dive into the 1995 season, I want to just get a couple of quick news items out uh, out, out of the way first. Um, obviously, things are happening. And Tuesday was actually a pretty big day in the NBA circle or in, in the NBA news world. Uh, Tuesday was really the first day that coaches, as well as a few executives, I don't know about executives, but Tuesday is officially kind of the first beginning of the NBA kicking back into regular gear. Um, players have been able to go into the practice facility uh, at... At length already, um, but with limitations and obviously social distancing guidelines in place too. But Tuesday was kind of the real opening of the NBA season. The uh, tra- the uh, uh, roster period was opened. Teams can begin signing players and and kind of situating themselves for the rest of the season and for for the bubble essentially. And head coaches were allowed back into the building. So for the first time since March 12th, Coach Steve Clifford was able to work with and see his players. To this point, head coaches and front-of-the-bench coaches, as as they're kind of called, so only player development coaches and training staff were allowed to work with players. Head coaches, front-of-the-bench coaches, and executives were not allowed in the building at the same time as players. They weren't even allowed to watch training. Anytime you've heard Steve Clifford talk, he has essentially said, every report I'm getting from our training staff is the guys did a good job keeping themselves in shape and getting themselves ready now begins the real ramping up toward the beginning of the season or toward the resumption of the season. Steve Clifford uh, posted posted a couple of videos on the Orlando Magic's Twitter page and their social media outlets as well, just saying he was excited to get back into the gym with the guys. And at this point, he just wanted to kind of be in the gym with all of them Uh, And not really do too much. Um, You know, uh, Orlando Magic posted video of him rebounding for DJ Augustine. So he said essentially, all I'm going to be doing today is rebounding. I I just want to be in the gym with the guys and see where they're at. And that's essentially what he did. Um, You know, there's not a whole lot more he can do at this point. You know, maybe maybe a few conversations here and there, which you know they haven't been precluded from doing. They can text and all that. Um, It's not like they're in the middle of a lockout or anything. But this is the first kind of step toward the beginning of the season. Next week, uh, beginning, I believe, June 30th or July 1st, teams will be able to work in, still individually, but more players will be allowed into the building at the same time. I think up to eight players in the building at the same time. Don't believe they'll still be allowed to work in groups yet. They won't be allowed to work in groups until training camp begins July 9th or, or shortly after July 9th, July 11th, July 12th. Essentially, here's the calendar. Next week, more people allowed in the building. Between July 9th and I believe July 11th or 12th, Teams will begin arriving at Disney. Once they arrive at Disney, they will have to be quarantined for two days. That's just just making sure everything is copacetic. Um, And then training camps will begin. We'll have a couple weeks of training camp at the Disney site, at Wide World of Sports, before a couple of closed-door scrimmages and, and kind of exhibition games to get warmed up and then the beginning of the season on July 30th. If this seems very methodical, there is a point to it. The big news in Orlando on Monday was that the NWSL's Orlando Pride had to withdraw from the NWSL Challenge Cup, which was set to begin on Saturday. And this should be a warning for everyone in this town. Orlando Pride had to back out of that tournament because six of their players tested positive for the coronavirus. In one sense, and and essentially what the reporting is, is that a couple of the players, and a lot of those players live together, a couple of the players went to a bar when they, when they was opened. They did not follow social distancing guidelines. And yes, we're in the middle of a spike in the pandemic here in Orange County. They caught the virus. Hopefully, Magic players have been following the social distancing guidelines and been wearing masks and doing everything to protect themselves so we don't see any positive tests. But the reality is, positive tests are going to be part of this process. The NBA began formal testing uh, I believe this week, I believe today, Tuesday, um, the NBA began formal testing. And as expected, not to be shocked, as expected, some players have tested positive, including including apparently Nikola Jokic. Um, we expected to see some positive tests. People have been out in the world. They haven't been able to quarantine themselves. And the NBA is going to be doing everything it can to... Make sure they enter the bubble clean. That's that's essentially the goal here. We've got a month to get everyone to be completely healthy, completely free of the virus before we start playing games again, before everyone is kind of in the same vicinity for a long period of time. Well, I mean, we got a couple of weeks before that. So essentially what the hope is, you test everyone now, you figure out who's clean and who needs to be quarantined. You quarantine the people that need to be quarantined. If additional people test positive because they're out in the world, they get quarantined, and then hopefully you bring everyone to the campus site free and clear of the coronavirus so it doesn't spread. That is, that is essentially the goal. So at this point, a positive test in the NBA isn't as scary. I mean, it's, it's scary because the virus is potentially deadly, but it is not as scary to the resumption of the season. It was expected, and it's been planned for. And so hopefully it's all wiped out, and everyone within the NBA circle, within the NBA's bubble— enters Disney and the campus site as clean as they can be. Um, obviously, this is the big wild card here. This is the big thing that is up in the air. And, you know, I would say this. I think what happened with the Orlando Pride was extremely foolish. Um, I, I, You know, right now we're seeing a spike in coronavirus cases here in Orange County. And the median age has dropped below 30. Uh, and especially over the last couple of weeks, the median age of new positive tests is below 30 years old. So it is young people that are catching the virus right now and young people are more likely to be asymptomatic they're less likely to need to go to the hospital so hospitalization rates are still pretty low and, and you know it, actually there's some good news Monday it, it seemed like the the rate of positive tests also decreased although not to the levels that it was at a few weeks ago still pretty high level around 5 6% so i would say this the fact that we're seeing positive tests and catching them early Is a sign that the system works, or that that the testing regime that the NBA has put into place is working and is doing the job it's supposed to do, and that's important. That's that's really important. But now we got to get to that next step. You know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a constant battle. And as I've said, you know, and, and you're free to disagree with whether the NBA is taking the right kind of risk here, whether that whether this is something the NBA should be trying to do. You know, I mean, I would I would honestly say this. If the NBA does want to resume in any way, shape, or form, I think the NBA has set up an imperfect system, but the best system that they can come up with that that anyone could probably come up with to get this done, to get this to get this situation resolved, get this season finished. Um, again, you can debate whether the NBA should be trying to finish the season in the middle of a pandemic, like they are. Um, I think that's a fair debate. I'm not. I'm not here gonna hear, be here to argue that with you. I, I, you you're probably right, um, but that's what the NBA is doing, and, and that's. You know, that's the direction that they're going. So the gyms are back open, essentially. You know, there is certainly still a lot of concern, especially here in Orange County, um, with the rise in cases and the rise, and, and the rise of positive tests that we've seen. Um, you've already seen one of the sports teams here in Central Florida have to kind of bow out and and, and kind of exit exit their, their tournament and exit their season because of the coronavirus. And hopefully, honestly, I hope that's a lesson for all of us. Wear your mask. Still practice social distancing. Don't go out unless you really have to. Going, I mean, no offense to, to to people who own bars and and restaurants and all that, but there's still not much of a reason to go out. Certainly not kind of to go out drinking or, or go out when you, when you don't have to. I get everyone's a little stir crazy. I, we're all stir crazy, and so I'm not going to fault anyone or blame anyone for trying to go out into the world a little bit. But take your precautions. Stay safe. I mean, this thing is very very real and it's still very very scary. So, um, I. Things are moving in the right direction, it appears. So let's transition then to the crux of this show before we get before we get to it. Twenty five years ago, the Orlando Magic had what can only be described as a magical run. That's a pun um, to the nineteen ninety five NBA Finals. It is a season that Magic fans still talk about and remember fondly. It is. You know, honestly, the 1985 Magic very well might be the best team in Magic history. I, I think I have them number two on my list of best teams in Magic history. We can debate that another day. But it is a it is a team that resonates far beyond the borders of Orlando and far beyond the circles of Magic fans. This is a team that resonates with everyone. Penny and Shaq are still extremely popular players in all of the NBA fandom and throughout the entire NBA. And this is a team that, and this is a group that, frankly, still captures the imagination. And in the last few weeks to celebrate the 25th anniversary, um, our friend, Lou our friend Ketrick of Spectrum Sports 360, or my friend, Lou Ketrick of Spectrum Sports 360, has been doing a docu-series on the, the three big victories, three big series of that Magic run, the Magic series against the Bulls. Magic series against the Pacers, and of course the NBA Finals against the Houston Rockets. So, I thought I'd bring him on to discuss that series a little bit. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. But before we do, like I said, going out right now is probably not the best idea. And if you got to fix your car and you need the right part, you really don't have much of an option. If you if you're going anywhere, you're probably going to one of those big car shops and. You know, for me, it's a little overwhelming. If you know, even if you know what you're doing, it can be overwhelming and you don't even know if they're going to have the part you need. So, why go through that hassle when you can just go to rockauto.com? Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. It's all there. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com.
1: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs.
2: And we are now joined by Luke Hedrick of Spectrum Sports 360. Uh, full disclosure before we get going here, uh, my day job, I am a producer on Spectrum Sports 360, so I'm gonna, I'll put that out on the table first. But Luke, <laughs> how you doing, man?
0: I'm good. And as a producer for Spectrum Sports 360, Phil's main job is to corral me on time, which usually causes him to pull his hair out. So I appreciate you on your off day even giving me a call and allowing me a chance to talk about this project, man. Yeah, no,
2: absolutely. I mean, it's it. It really was a good project, and as I think he said in, in a Thank tweet uh,
0: earlier
2: uh, earlier this week, or I guess it's Tuesday. So so or, you know yesterday, um, as he said uh, said there, this was a project you really really mm-hmm. wanted to do. You really wanted to kind of look at this team, and uh, I guess I should intro the project a little bit more. Um, over the last month or so, I would say, yeah. a little bit more than a month at this point, but. Um, over the, you know, this year is obviously the 25th anniversary of the Orlando Magic's run to the 1985 NBA Finals. And so Luke put together kind of a three-part mini doc docu-series, um, kind of revisiting that that run from the Magic defeating the Chicago Bulls in, in the second round, um, which is we've all talked about extensively, it feels like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of the last few months, uh, to the Eastern Conference Championship victory over the Indiana Pacers. And finally, uh, this week, this past weekend releasing the, uh, the the conclusion to that series, uh, the, the 1995 NBA Finals against the Houston Rockets. Um, you know, there's obviously been a lot said about this team, about this 1995 team. It, you know, it really amazes me how much this team still resonates with so many people. What do you think is still so interesting and, and attractive about revisiting the 1995 team beyond just the fact that this is the 25th anniversary of that season?
0: I think when you look at it in the last 25 years in the annals of NBA history, we've seen a handful of teams. And the one that would stand out to me would be the Thunder with Durant and Westbrook, where they lose a finals, where they get close. And it's this notion that we have that says, Hey, they're young. They'll be able to do it again. And we've seen it a couple times with a couple different teams, but the magic to me were the ultimate, what could have been based on the aftermath. You know, it was so quick, the rise. The breakup was so much, there was so much tension in it, Phil. And for me, that was what was so interesting because the rise was so quick. It was new. It was fresh. As John Gabriel pointed out several times during my interview with him, this team had to do so much growing up on the fly. And you thought, okay, they'll have shot after shot at this. And I think, it's the what could have been because then you look at what happened afterwards what happened in two different directions obviously we know what happened with Shaq and the Lakers and his success after that and then we see the other side of it some key pieces a part of that 95 team penny has an injury plagued career really from then on out even though he has a couple incredible years once Shaq leaves there's the tension with Brian Hill and it just sort of falls apart after that so i think to me phil it's the ultimate what could have been. And I think we as basketball consumers here in Orlando, we gravitate to that team more than anyone else. Because as Cheryl Crow says, the first cut is the deepest and it still very much resonates today.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely see that a lot. I mean, I, I mean, you're, you know, I always find it interesting because, like, I, I grew up with this team. Like, I mean, right. I, remember, I remember being five, six years old, watching this team on the rise. You know, not really understanding the basketball, but understanding the fun and the excitement mm-hmm. of being in the arena, of of seeing that team. And obviously, I've gone back and watched a lot of those games, especially over the last last month, and kind of re those teams and, you know, really appreciate what they did on, on the court, you know, as, as a, a smart basketball consumer, too. But, you know, as, as someone who's kind of come from the outside, mm-hmm. do, do you really still sense that... That the city, that that, that magic fans, that that people you know around the magic still have this affection toward the team or or, or how that team still still like affects so much of how we view magic history?
0: I, I I believe that they are a very strong focal point of what this franchise is, not just back then, but moving forward. I think that really gave Orlando and this magic franchise a big identity. And in a lot of ways, Phil, this is something that you and I have talked about at times. The Magic sort of perceived it as, okay, things are pretty easy. I mean, we, we've discussed this where you get Shaq with the first pick in 92. You get the first pick again in 93 and end up with Penny. It doesn't work out. Then there's a few bad years. And then when they tank again, they get the first pick in Dwight Howard. So I think there's this narrative where early on you had so much, okay, if it doesn't work out, we'll do it the right way and we'll build it again. Because that first team, excuse the pun, was so magical. That 95 team going into 94, 95, the way it was built, the way it was constructed, was really something that caught a lot of people off guard. I think they loved the fact that this was a new, young, energetic franchise, and the fact that they were able to come in and do what they did in really one short year and capture that type of magic. I think that effect has been so powerful. I even think when we talk about this Magic team that was in the playoffs last year, you're kind of saying, hey, you know, maybe they could beat Toronto in round one. Maybe they have a chance. Even though you knew the matchup was not in their favor, I still think there's that belief that anytime an Orlando team gets into the playoffs, it could be something like that 95 team.
2: Yeah, and I mean, and and obviously the closest we've come to that was was 09. Right. You know they they took I mean they took the that whole the whole league by storm and you know I I I I don't want to get too deep into this this thought process but but I often think sometimes that you know both the 0-9 team and the '95 team would have been better served missing the finals those years obviously like the window's open you get to the finals you have your chance yeah. to win you got to take it but uh, I mean I'm not saying lose on purpose or anything but but I often think to myself you know maybe those teams would have gained a little bit of wisdom um, if, if they hadn't had that surprise success, if they had to face, you know, one more piece of adversity before getting there. But so much of the, the story of that 95 team is, you know, the slogan, why not us, why not now? Um, right. there's, there's a little bit of a, just a defiance of like, you know, we don't care if you don't think it's our turn. It, it, we're going we're gonna to go out there and take it where, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're too young to know what you don't know almost. Um, and, and, and you can certainly sense some of the immaturity of that team, especially when they finally got to the big stage of the finals. Um, you know, what, what, what did, what, you know, you, you talked to Jeff Turner, who was a, a reserve mm-hmm. on that team. You talked to Brian Hill, who was the coach and John Gabriel, who put that team together. You know, what, Did what did they have to say about kind of the, the, the kind of NUVA, you know, new, I, don't, I don't want to say it that way, but what did they have <laughs> to say about kind of the, the, the youth of this team uh, and how that both played for and against them?
0: Well, I think there was this narrative coming in and I get your point about, You know, early success maybe hindering them. Being a victim of their own success is maybe what contributed to the breakup sooner than they had hoped. I I think, Phil, for me, when when you look at this and from talking to those guys, there was a sense in the Eastern Conference at that time where you had to pay your dues to sit on the throne. There was a coronation process, and when Michael left in '93. The presumed heir to that throne was probably the Knicks, which it was in 94, and the Pacers. Those are teams that had superstars. They had taken their lumps. They were competitive with the Bulls. And Orlando had missed the playoffs, in, or excuse me, made the playoffs and got sweeped in 94, swept by the Pacers. You know, they had never been to the playoffs. They had never really been a factor. So, yeah, I think there was a sense around the league, when I talked to Brian Hill, when I talked to Jeff Turner, John Gabriel. There was not a sense of jealousy. It was more, you can only get so lucky. You can only get so lucky. And that narrative sort of followed them because it was the draft picks again. And there was a lot of discredit because, and we saw it in in the last dance, Phil, that, hey, you beat the Bulls, but you didn't beat Michael at full strength. And Brian Hill told me, I don't want to hear any of this crap, that Michael wasn't Michael, when he goes and scores 55 on the Knicks in the Garden when he put up 40 in one of those games in that series. Michael was Michael. Now, Michael might not have been in the best shape, but when he came back, he was one of the best players in the NBA, probably still the best player in the NBA. So they used it as fuel, and they were so young, and I think what's the most impressive thing about this too, Phil, is they were fun, but they weren't super tight. And, and it kind of defied what they did then. They they beat the Bulls. They won two games on the road. They went into the United Center and won. They beat Indiana, a veteran ball club, in a seven-game series. But this was a team that was having fun. They would gel together on the court. But when practices were over, they, they were off doing their own thing. You know, Shaq had his hand in so many different pots. You had a lot of young guys, you know, trying different things. They weren't a team that really hung out together all the time off the court. And that really showed, and it reared its head, when they really were punched in the mouth against Houston, And then the following year when they were swept by the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. But the fact that it wasn't it didn't hinder them against the Bulls and the Pacers in 95 really is an incredible accomplishment.
2: Yeah, and I want to get back to kind of when the when I think the veneer of confidence was was kind of pierced in in that final series. But let's start back with that Chicago series. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've obviously talked a lot about that series. Not only is it, I think, probably the I don't want to say the crowning achievement of magic history, but if you probably ask magic fans, that's probably the most important or the best playoff series win in magic history, you know, maybe yeah. followed closely by the Oh nine conference finals with, mm-hmm. with the Cavs. Um, you know, we saw in the last state, we saw it, you know, broken down a little bit in the last dance, you know, we, we, the Fox sports Florida replayed it. How, how important, how big was that series both kind of at, at the moment, from, from what you what you saw or what you what you heard and talked about, and and kind of from the you know big picture perspective of of what it meant for this team.
0: Well, th- there's a couple things that go into this, and you've touched on this before. A, it was a team failure by the Bulls, and, and it was more. And I can't stress this enough: the Magic won that series. The Bulls did not lose that series. So what you had is the Bulls, after winning three titles, Michael leaves. In 94, they're still a very good team. They take the Knicks to seven games. The Knicks beat the Bulls in 94, but it's not an asterisk, but it's close to it because you say, hey, they won in seven games. It was a competitive series, but Chicago didn't have Michael. You bring Michael back, they're 14 and 3 with Michael in the final 17 games in the regular season. So they're loaded. They're good. They are hitting their stride at the right time. And you saw then the first time. A Michael Jordan-led team after winning his championships was knocked off. You saw it by a team that wasn't supposed to. And you saw an individual failure on Michael's part with Nick Anderson stripping him in the final seconds. And then you saw it at the end of Game 6 when he and the Bulls went cold collectively and the Magic went on that 14-0 run in the final minutes. So you had so many things where it was the Magic beat the Bulls. The Magic, in individual increments, beat Michael Jordan. Now, Jordan had his moments, but I think it was so many teams, so many players foamed at the mouth for that chance to beat Michael. John Starks, Patrick Ewing, Reggie Miller, you had so many people just wanting to knock him off, and it's this young Magic team. Like, where's Orlando? With with Shaquille O'Neal and Nick Anderson, and like and Penny Hardaway, they're not supposed to do this yet. So, I, I think it's so captivating because we saw individual and team victories for the Magic against the greatest player of all time. Um, obviously, then we know how the story goes the following year. Uh, but for He me took it so, personally. He took it personally <laughs> as, a, as our own last dance drinking game. From that point on, it became personal for me. But um, I think I think, in that sense, it, it was the team that wasn't supposed to do it did it, and there wasn't really many excuses you could make about it.
1: And,
2: and I, th- I mean, I think, and I think that's a really important point because you know, I think you know, you know what that team is just so young. You look for moments where you think you know this team is really growing up and and figuring out how to win. And 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 I think that's something that's very impressive about that Magic team is they really figured out how to win on the fly. I mean, yep. they're down at home against Michael Jordan's Bulls. Uh, and they find a way to, you know, the, the, shot clocks off, they find a way to get the, to get the ball back and, and, you know, to make the go ahead basket, you know, they, 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 fo- they found a way to win that game, you know, game, game three, you know, they're in a, another close battle and and they find a way to, you know, force a turnover, make the play that they need. I mean, again, it's, 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 I think it's like what they said in the last dance, you know, nobody took Michael's rock, no. and Nick Anderson no. took Michael's rock and, and it was, you know, constantly, you know, every you, you know the, the narrative with Michael Jordan is he always found a way to make the winning play. Mm-hmm. In that series, the Magic constantly found ways to make winning plays. I mean, they, right. I, if, if I'm not mistaken, they were trailing in the final three minutes of three of their four wins in that series. So yeah. you know, they showed a lot of toughness in metal and metal. And and honestly, like I, I you know, the Magic haven't had many championship teams, but I feel like there's a moment in every season. You know where you you're not quite sure your team is championship ready, but something happens where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this this team can do that. This team can be that team. And, and you know I think, you know, yes, you know, beating the Celtics, you know, put a huge, took a huge monkey off their back mm-hmm. for winning a play for winning a playoff series. Absolutely. But beating the Bulls, I think, really, I think, made everyone, and I would imagine everyone on the
0: team, really believe that they're not just good; they're championship good. And and let's, before that series even happens, let's lay it out on paper. Let's lay out the lineups, too. Obviously, in the court of public opinion, if you look at that series head on, you would say, okay, it's Michael and the Bulls. He's back. Who's Orlando? It's a nice story. They should win. If you truly look at the matchups and truly look at both how both teams were built at that time, Orlando was the better team. I'm not saying it's not even close. But Orlando was a better team. The matchups, they created so many mismatches for the Bulls. Now, the next year, when the Bulls get Dennis Rodman, it's a different story. You have someone to match up with Horace Grant. You don't have uh, that size disadvantage or that strength disadvantage putting Tony Kukoc or Scottie Pippen or whoever on Horace Grant inside. Uh, But for me, it's they were just a better team. And you can say that on paper, but to go out and prove it, to go out and do it, to be the team that could say consistently, it's not that it was just one moment. It's not that Nick Anderson stealing the ball was the only shining moment in that series. They got punched in the mouth in game two. They got punched in the mouth a couple times. And for them to answer consistently and not have it always be Shaquille or Penny making the play, it was Nick Anderson. It was Horace Grant. It was Shaq. It was Penny. It was a collective effort. And even though Michaels did his thing in that series, Brian Hill did an incredible coaching job. It, w- it reminded you of what the Pistons used to do to Michael in the late 80s and in 1990. They were corralled him. They were double teaming him. It wasn't to the extent of the hard fouls, but it was about getting the ball out of his hand. And if he's going to score, he's really going to work to score. And you saw maybe it was a lack of conditioning, but they really made him fatigue at the end of it. And I think when you take all that together, absolutely. It is by far the most significant series win in Magic history. I don't want to say it's the best because I, I truly think Indiana was a better series. But it is, in terms of history, it's a more significant series win.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I certainly think so. I mean, you brought you bring up an interesting point about Brian Hill and, and the job that he did in that series. I mean, you look at... Game six, especially, I mean, game six, I think was a really strong coaching job. You know, they're down, Mm -hmm. they're down 12, I think, or down 10 or eight with like two and a half minutes to go. And they, they go on that run and Shaq, you know, comes in late in that run. You know, they're running Brian Shaw at the point, uh, Mm horse grants on the bench. He's, he suffered an injury in that game. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was a really strong moment. Cause I think I, if I'm not mistaken, the story, the story of that game is, you know, Horace Grant suffered suffered a, a thumb injury. I think at, at, at in that game, mm-hmm. and he's you know he's sitting on the bench, and 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 the team's starting to make their run, and, and coach Coach Hill turns to, to Horace to put him back in, and Horace says, you know, let him go, and 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 I think that's you know I think it takes a lot of trust both in your veteran and and, and in your team to say I'm going to leave you know you know a guy that's been a huge factor in the series because on the Bulls' perspective, I, I kind of feel like that that series was also you know the Magic won the series. But I feel like that series is also a little bit of the Bulls' hubris, getting the better of them.
0: Yes, Because um, Phil
2: Jackson essentially said, Horace is going to beat us, and Horace did. But in the, like, the most key moment of the game, Horace is on the bench, and you got Brian Shaw, Dennis Scott, Nick Anderson. Those are the guys that ultimately closed that series out. But, um, you know, you spoke and to –
0: And two of you, if you look at that, Phil, and I don't mean to cut you off, but you had an injury to Horace Grant. And then I believe it was Donald Royal was banged up as well. And it was a bad matchup for Jeff Turner. But because of the injuries, he had to come in and play extended minutes in that series. And he was like, look, I can't guard Tony Kukoc or Scottie Pippen on the perimeter. Like, that's not – he was more comfortable in the Indiana series. So you had a game plan that goes out the window. And then when you have situations like that where you're the most key player in the series, which was Horace Grant, later in the series – Goes out, you're still able to manufacture a run, even when your game plan goes out the window. I think it's extremely impressive what he was able to do.
2: Yeah. Um. And so, so I mean, you talked to you talked to Brian Hill, um, for this for the Stocky series for this for yeah. this three part series. What you know, what what were your impressions? What did you take away from from hearing him speak? Because you know, I, you know, I think, you know, I'm guilty of this too. You know, I think Brian Hill doesn't always, you know, certainly doesn't always get the credit he deserves. And I think some of the struggles that he had in his second tenure with the team, uh, you know, also, you know, for me, that's more of what I experienced and and had basketball knowledge of um, watching. So I think that kind of downgraded him in him in in some Mm -hmm. ways. What did you take away from what he had to say in his perceptions of of this team and of this run?
0: Well, Brian Hill is seventy two years old. Uh, That was that run was twenty five years ago, and when you ask Brian Hill about it now. Phil, the guy answers like he's still coaching a basketball game. Like there's no nostalgia to it. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny because it's like you're trying to get that emotional soundbite out of him, and he's just talking X's and O's. I mean, the guy was a true basketball junkie, and I think that's what worked in his favor so well with this team is think about the personalities you had to manage. Obviously, Shaquille was something that we've never seen at that time. Nick Anderson would say some off-the-wall things every now and then, 45, not 23. You had young, superstar-like personalities, and trying to mold them all together at that time was something that was really challenging. And to be able to do it and control it and harness it into one run was was really incredible. You know, there was the knock on Shaq that when he left Orlando, Coaches would come out and say, and it, this has been documented with, you know, his feud with the late Kobe Bryant, that Shaq wasn't always motivated to play. You know, that Shaq would, you know, go through the motions and kind of, you know, take possessions off and not really do things. And if he felt like turning it on, he would. And I asked Brian Hill about that, and Brian Hill said, "Nope, I, I never had that from him. There were times it wasn't that he was engaged. It was he didn't know how to dominate. Like, he could, but, you know he was maybe passive or was wasn't, young. you know, he was young figure, and he was learning things out. I mean, he led the, he led the league in turnovers early on because he wasn't decisive with the ball he would get stripped and he would make a bad pass. So that was something that Brian Hill talked about. And he would look at him and go, dude, turn it on. Like, go. Just, just go play. Just go dominate. And Shaq would go out and have a run in five minutes where he would score 10 or 12 points, have a couple, big rebounds, maybe make a highlight block or a big slam. And Brian Hill said, you know, when Shaq would sub out, he'd have a standing ovation. And Shaq would go, Coach, did you like that? Was that good? And Brian Hill goes, that's what I wanted, big fella. Get on the bench. And it was just like that. It's that simplicity to it that, that made it so beautiful. And I think Brian Hill, in some ways, was a miniature version of Phil Jackson that had to learn how to corral these big personalities and make it work, and he did. He did for uh, you know a long stretch of time. Yeah, I mean that's 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 an
2: incredible story. I mean, I, and obviously, you know, I, I think a lot of you know certainly what happened in '96 is you know you had problem of more issues, as, as Pat Riley would describe it, where you know success is really hard to handle sometimes, and I, and I, I don't think yeah. we. Always appreciate how difficult it is, especially with the spotlight we put on these players uh, and how young they are too, how how difficult it is to maintain kind of composure and intensity with success. Let's take a quick break from the conversation. It's it's almost like halftime. And halftime is, of course, a chance to refuel and get ourselves ready for the rest of our day whether it's a workout whether it's work whether it's whatever we all need healthy fuel to get us through the rest of our day and that's exactly what built bar is built bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar comes in 16 amazing flavors and they're covered all in 100 chocolate the good kind well all chocolate's good but not necessarily good for you i'm digging myself a hole here they're soft and easy to chew they're great for the health conscious person lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, come in great flavors like peanut butter brownie, mint brownie, and a whole lot more. Go to BuiltBar.com today and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com.
1: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Uh, I feel like we always skip over that pacer series. Yep. Um, you know, I agree. We talk... We talk a little bit about Game Four because it's it's a it's a fantastic finish. Yes, you know we talk about you know you know Game Seven being essentially a party because the Magic you know blow that 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 game open, um, but you know having watched back that series uh, with with Fox Sports Florida's replays and and everything, I feel like that's the series when Shaq really became Shaq and, and like became or truly like you know he was already a dominant force, but mm-hmm. in a playoff setting in a tough tough environment because. The Pacers were just such a huge team. They had Brick oh, Smith, huge. they had the Davis, the Davis brothers, Dale Davis, Antonio Davis. They had Derek McKee, who I had completely forgotten about, and, and yep. he was a really good player for his time. That was, a, that was a tough physical team. And Shaq manhandled them in a lot of ways. Um, but what what is important to remember about that series? That 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 we may sometimes look over because the Bulls series is so frankly sexy. And the rocket series is the finals.
0: Yeah. I, I think when I look at it and Brian Hill said this, if you asked me at the start of the season and you laid out all the teams and you laid out all the rosters and I knew the styles of play, who the best team in the NBA was without hesitation, I would have said the Indiana Pacers. They were a tougher matchup than the bulls. It's just truly what they were. You had great guard play with Jackson. You had, Reggie Miller, who at the time is the greatest three-point shooter that we have ever seen in basketball. And then they are totally built from top to bottom, incredibly well coached. They did not make a ton of mistakes. And, and Phil, we talk about the Magic series with the Bulls and beating Michael and getting over a hump that, you know, we didn't really think, okay, they can only get so lucky. It's, you know, we don't really love the narrative of getting lucky. Then you had the Pacers who finally got over the Knicks in the Eastern Conference semis as well. An incredible seven-game series, the Patrick Ewing miss at the end. You had Reggie getting hot. I believe in game one it was that series, or maybe it was the 8.9 seconds. I can't game really game
2: one of that series was 8.9
0: seconds. 8.9 yeah. seconds, yeah. I, I couldn't same, remember same what
2: it was. Day, same day that Nick Anderson sold the ball for Michael Jordan.
0: That day, Exa- yes, that day yeah. is yeah. an
2: incredible day. In the, tri- history. the
0: triple header on NBC. Yep. That, we've talked about that before. So you had this Pacers team that had really finally gotten over the hump. That felt like they were playing complete basketball. And on paper, it was an incredible matchup. We don't talk about it enough. I think Shaq did become a man in that series. And it's the earning your stripes moment for Shaq, really. Because before then, he is this charismatic lightning rod of a, of a player that we had never seen. He's known for the highlights and tearing down the backboards and all his fun charisma. But... The front line that he had to face in the Indiana series was so much better and stronger defensively than what he had to face in the Chicago series. And the fact that he was able to step up like that was incredible. For me, again, it is, you're coming off the highest of highs of the Bull series. Like, the highest of the highs. And then you're going on to face a better team that is riding just as high and is extremely confident. And that series can go either way. And the fact that over and over again, When Indiana continues to tie this series, Orlando is able to answer the bell. And it's not just a one-off thing. The Bulls series was multiple times of them finding ways to answer, finding ways to be the team that takes control at the end of the games. Like you said, trailing in a majority of those wins. They did that in the Indiana series as well. So they really grew up on the fly. And it's a series we don't talk about enough because, yeah, maybe it doesn't have the sex appeal and it's sandwiched between the Bulls series and the finals. but. It is the best overall series that you could argue in Magic history.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's something to that, and, and honestly, like I think probably you know it, it might be the the best overall playoff game the Magic ever played was probably Game Four of that series. Um, that that game, you know, I feel like that was a game, you know, especially at that point of the series, you know, Magic are up two one, they won the both game both games at home, they go to Indianapolis, they lose. Both both of those games, with Game Four on a buzzer beater, mm-hmm. that was a game that really could have broken that team. Absolutely. Um, and, obvi- and obviously, we're going to see a moment. You know, we'll talk about a moment where where the team did eventually get broken. But yeah, that that game could have really broken that team. And mm-hmm. and that was a game. You know, that's a game where a mature team has to has to has to respond, or a, only a mature team can respond. Because he had you know Reggie hitting the three to give the Pacers mm-hmm. the lead, and then Penny comes right back at him, and then Smiths hits the jumper with Shaq fouled out. Uh, and, and it, you know, I still feel like that, that's, that's, that, that could have been such a disastrous moment for the team, but game five, they come back and, and, and they, they win that game at home. They get blown out in game six and they, they, they win game seven. And, and so obviously it's, you know, it, it, it's such a back and forth affair. And, and right. I think the magic really showed composure that made them worthy to be champions.
0: And, and some sort of symbolism here as we talk about the youth of this team, you know, how youthful they were and how they didn't have the experience. Well, the, the biggest thing that we critique in game four is Tree Rollins, the player coach, the veteran on the team making <laughs> the mistake at the end of the game. And it's not, it's not a rookie. It's not Penny or Shaq, young guys that, that aren't built for the moment. It, it's Tree Rollins, who was as well-respected as anyone in that organization at that point that bites on the pump fake, Rick Smith hits the shot, and it could be a real gut punch. But then you come back in game five and it's Shaq that I believe goes for like 35 and 15. I think like so, he, something like he, that. He just, has an, he just has an incredible game, and it's it's not your veteran. It's not Nick Anderson. It's not Dennis Scott that willed that team in that game. It was Shaq. I mean, it was a two-point hard-fought win, and then again, they get punched in the mouth in game six. I mean, Indiana just destroys them, and then it's not Tree Rollins. It's not one of these veterans. It's a young guy in Shaquille that challenges the Orlando fans and says, y'all better wake up with sore throats the next morning after Game 7. And again, he takes that leadership on an incredible thing from a young player. The fans responded. The team rallied around it. And you saw maybe, as Brian Hill had said, he had never seen a team, a young team, play better in a big moment than that Magic team played in Game 7 of that series.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that's one of the. I mean, again, I, I think, I think Brian says it, or or someone, I want, someone said it in, in in the piece that you did. The the Orlando arena was probably never louder than it was uh, the night yeah. of Game Seven. I mean, and, and incredible that build that building that building got loud. I mean, that was that was that was always a loud building. Um, let's rip off the band aid then. Uh, to to the NBA Finals. Um, you know, the I think the the narrative and the storyline is. The young team finally met its match. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I I I hate saying it, but you know, when Rudy Tomjanovich said, "Never question the heart of a champion," you know, I think I think that statement was abundantly true uh, when it when it comes to especially describing Game One of that series. Mm-hmm. Um, the Magic put the Rockets down. Um, they you know up by eighteen in the in the, sec, in, the sec, in the first half, um, but Houston just stayed calm and collected, and and I think I think the finals was finally a stage that was too big. For big for the team. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we don't have to rehash it. We know what happened. You know, magic were up 18. They, they lost the lead. You know, they, they had to, they had to kind of scramble back in the second Mm -hmm. half to, to get back into the game. Um, you know, they, they're up by three with 16 seconds to go or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, Nick Anderson misses two free throws, gets his own rebound, misses two more free throws. The Rockets get the rebound. They tie the game, send it to overtime. And then they then they win on a tip-in by Hakeem Olajuwon, which I think a lot of people tend to forget. Mm-hmm. I mean, Orlando still, Orlando was up one. Um, you know, Dennis Scott hit a really nice jumper to put the Magic up in overtime. And if he if, if they win that game, you know, uh, no one cares that Nick Anderson missed four free throws. But, yep. um, you know, I, I still get the sense that that, that stayed, that, that, you know, finally, you know, the finals are such a different animal. I know the 0-9 team talked about it a little bit. The finals are such a different animal. Mm-hmm. Did you get the sense that everyone kind of felt like you know, the stage, you know, their immaturity, there's the stage finally caught up to this team.
0: I think, and and you have to go back even before the free throws and before the, the final, you know, sequence and regulation, you know, okay, they, Houston goes on a mega run. I think they outscored Orlando like 37, 18 or 19 in, the, in that third quarter. Yeah. And Houston was up by nine late in the third quarter. And Orlando had to battle back. It's not like they were holding the lead the entire game and Houston just chipped away. Like, They got punched in the mouth in the third. They were down nine and had to fight their way back and take the lead. So you look at that, and you're like, that's the cardiac kids right there. They're doing it again. Like, they're up three with 10 seconds left, and you're like, man, they just did it. They just willed themselves after blowing a lead. Most teams would wilt in that situation. They came fighting back, and they got a chance to win this thing. And for me, it's a cluster of gut punches that did it in for this team. Because in the Bulls series, we talked about the highs of the highs. They were spread out. They did it over six games. It, wasn't just a, it just wasn't a one-off thing. Indiana, same type of thing. They get punched, but they had the highs of the highs on several different occasions in that series as well. But you have those extreme lows. The four missed free throws. Five seconds later, Kenny Smith. And then Akeem at the end of overtime. It's three brutal things, Phil, in the span of a couple minutes. And for a young team to have to experience it all in one, just one wave, it it was so hard to get back. And that's where I think in that point, their lack of, I don't want to call it chemistry, but togetherness, trust, whatever it may have been, maybe have, maybe caught up to them at that point.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I I think, I think, I think we got to give that Houston team a ton of credit. Absolutely. Um, That, You know, A, that game one, you know, Kenny Smith set the NBA finals record for most three-pointers in a single game. And obviously the three-point line was still kind of a newish weapon. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, I think when we look back at history, you know, we'll say the Magic and the Rockets, that 95 final series was really the first series or the first two teams that understood how big the three-point line could be. Um, and, and and, And they were really the first two teams, I think that one with the three pointer as a sort of a central strategy and, and and part of their game. And, you know, you know, I think Robert Ory was a really bad matchup for Horace Grant. Um, you know, I don't know if it was, you know, because of the game one disappointment, but Dennis Scott had an abysmally bad series. I think he shot less yeah. than 30% on threes. It, it, you know, a lot of things just kind of came together that ultimately doomed the team and you know, game one. You know, both teams. I think threw a really good punch. You know, you know, game one is you. You saw game one. You're like, oh, if this is what the entire series is going to be like, this is going to be a heck of a series. I mean, it's it's a it's a coin flip either way. And and Houston was such. You know, again, Rudy Tomjanovich, I think, really did say it best at the end of game four. You know, you don't question the heart of a right. champion. And yeah. and that group, they knew. You know, they went through a seven seven game battle. Against the Knicks, you know they were the sixth mm-hmm. seed. They struggled that year, but they, you know, battled all throughout the playoffs that that year. You know, beating, you know, they had to win all those games on the road. They had they, they didn't have seven advantages. consecutive
0: road games. Seven, yeah. It's, uh, yeah it, it I mean, incredible.
2: it's it's. The, I mean, history does not give that ro- those Rockets teams their due. I mean, yeah. I, I think Akeem has come out as the best center of the '90s, essentially, mm-hmm. because he he was the only one that got the, t- the titles. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people give those Rockets teams those their due and. You know, honestly, it would have been interesting to see if those Rockets teams go up against Jordan at the height of his powers.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, that's why they don't get the credit is because for that two-year gap, it was not a matchup with Michael. So everything else, when Michael's not playing, gets discredited. You know, the Knicks winning uh, over, win over Chicago doesn't get discredited. The Magic, through the annals of NBA history, does not get the credit deserved. So Houston is just sort of this forgotten team that just kind of comes in and they're the, okay, they're the holdover team. For when Michael comes back and starts doing his thing, I think when I look at it, is the Magic were kind of a mini Houston in some ways. They, they had the potential to be. You know, we know they're starting five. You know, Horace could step out. He wasn't a three point shooter, but he could knock down a jumper. But the Rockets at that time were a version of what the 09 Magic were. You know, it was a four out, one in philosophy. If you felt like you needed to double Akeem, have fun because you have Robert Ory as your stretch four. And when the magic went small, Dennis Scott could have been their stretch for. It. So it was one of those things where it was really the first test of, hey, you want to come in and double the big fella? You want to or you want to go one-on-one? Great. He's going to eat you up inside. And then you have, you want to come and double him? We got Kenny Smith. We got Mario Ellie, We got Robert Ori. You had Clyde Drexler. You had a ton of guys that could shoot, a ton of guys that can make plays on their own. And... I think it was just the Magic were a mini version of it. But like you said, you never question the heart of a champion. For Houston, I don't think that game one was as important for them. Hey, they get the win, but they're the veteran team. The Magic got to go on the road. For Orlando, I really felt like it meant everything to them because they hadn't dropped a game one yet in that series. They hadn't been down yet in a series. They had been tied several times, but they hadn't been down. Now they're facing. Now they're the team that lost home court advantage. They have to catch up. And I just think with that cluster of errors and those gut punches at the end of the game, you know, it's... And I'm trying not to phrase this where it's not discrediting Houston, but this was a sweep that shouldn't have been a sweep. And we understand that. Houston probably goes on and wins that series in six or seven games. But the fact that it's a sweep is probably a lot worse than just losing that series.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I, and again, like, I I really think you know watching that series, watching that game back, and 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 NBA TV played game four as well, and just it 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 felt like it felt like you know that this Magic team had this impenetrable confidence. You know, you yeah. know, why not us? Why not now? Mantra, the whole you know the whole run to the finals. It you know it, it felt like nothing bothered them, and this was a moment where. They had the game in their hands and, 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 you know, yes, we, we can say it very plainly, you know, they let it slip through their fingers and and it hurt magic fans that it was Nick because he's, he is Mr. Magic. He's still so incredibly popular uh, in this town and with this franchise, you know, you know, maybe there's a few fans who you, you know, aren't from Orlando or, or, you know, don't aren't as familiar with the team's history who only view Anderson Mm -hmm. through this prism. but so many magic fans, you know, think about the steal, think about the 50 point game against the Nets. You know, they think about, so many other moments long before they get to the get to the 95 finals and and, and they certainly outweigh them. And frankly, you know, and, and I, I, I really appreciate this about Nick, you know, yeah, he had his struggles afterward and, and, and this moment, you know, you, you could point to this moment and say it really did derail his career. I mean, it, it became a, a mental block for him, but, you know, I I've always been happy with how open Nick is willing to talk about, talk about this event and, you know, you know, kind of laugh, you know, laugh it off now. I mean, I I I think it's I think it's great that he can talk about his greatest fail. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, frankly, his greatest failure. But it, this was definitely a moment where the Magic had the game in their hands, and you know, there's no other way to say it. It slipped through their fingers. Um, You know, th- and and I think that certainly affected the team
0: mentally. It did, and I, I think your point about Nick Anderson is incredibly well taken and incredibly accurate Um because. It hits different, Phil, if it's Brian Shaw shooting those four free throws. It's Horace Grant shooting those four free throws. Nick Anderson, like you said, is Mr. Magic. And if you're looking for a symbol of heroism for this playoff run, it's Nick Anderson. Because Nick Anderson had the greatest individual achievement of those playoffs in the NBA at that point because he was the guy that stole the ball from Michael Jordan. That's what people remember about those playoffs. Nick Anderson did that. He stole the ball from Michael Jordan, and it's the hero coming up to the line. It's our guy, Mr. Magic, first ever pick in franchise history. He's going to come up and ice this game. And it hurts because it's, man, we just saw our guy go over for 4, and he didn't get it done. And then they, get, they give up the 3, and we, we know how the story goes the rest of the way. I give Nick Anderson a ton of credit because – I did an interview with him last year on the 30th anniversary date of of his draft selection to Orlando. And we talked about it because, I mean, you can't talk to Nick Anderson and not talk about it. And, yeah, he laughs about it. It still hurts for him. But I think he's taken a lot of comfort. And this is what I would tell young players that make mistakes or have those, you know, infamous moments. Nick Anderson, it wasn't like it was a lack of focus. It, It wasn't like Nick Anderson... Was lolly gagging. He was completely focused. He gave it his best shot. He tried and it didn't work out. So you're going to have those moments where you give it your all and it doesn't work out, but you have nothing to regret other than the fact, I just wish the outcome was different. He gave it his best shot. He was a good free throw shooter. It didn't happen. And he's open about that. And he said, Look, it sucks. The series probably would have been different had I made at least one of those shots. It didn't. I have to live with that. But you know what? Throughout the rest of that series, throughout that entire playoffs, I gave it my best. I gave it a hell of a shot, and it didn't work out.
2: Yeah, and, and it's important to note, like, you know, I think Gabriel said in your piece, you know, Nick, we're not there without Nick. And, no one did, and yeah. And Nick, Nick had the steal in game one, so big play there. Uh, in game six against the Bulls, he hits the go-ahead basket, a, a turnaround yep. fadeaway over Kukoc that, that you know, gives Orlando the lead. It was a 12-0 run at that time. Shaq would make it 14-0 later, uh, a, a few plays later. Um, And then game two against the Pacers, you know, probably the biggest shot by magic player in that series. Yep. Indiana's coming back. Nick hits this humongous three. And, and you know, it's an iconic image in magic history, Indiana calls timeout and Nick, you know, kind of bends over, pumps his fist and slaps the floor. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, that, that is Nick Anderson. That's who Nick Anderson was. And, and, and he was a player, the magic could rely on And, And unfortunately, you know, I think what happened is the, you know, I always I, I I know I've told you this before. To be in the NBA, to play at that high of a level, you need a little bit of an ego. You need a little bit of self-inflated mm-hmm. confidence. And so when that confidence is pierced in some way, it, it does have massive effects, I feel like.
0: Absolutely. And I think you look at the total body of work for Nick Anderson up until that moment, just in the playoffs. I believe Phil, in that Boston series, he had to guard Sherman Douglas, then he has to guard Michael, then he has to guard Reggie. Then he has to guard Clyde. Three of the four guys he's guarding are Hall of Famers. Reggie Miller is the best shooter we've ever seen. Clyde Drexler is one of the best two guards in the 80s and 90s in the NBA. And then you add in Michael Jordan. So Nick Anderson had a full plate. The fact that he was able to hit shots, hit the big shot in game two against the Pacers, steal the ball from Michael Jordan, hit the big shot in game six, be the defensive stopper, be the guy that made Michael uncomfortable, be the guy that gave Reggie a lot of frustrations, And then have to go to the line and do that. It was a lot to put on his plate. And and you feel for the guy. But, again, it it just comes back to all this in total. What could have been. But Nick Anderson, they're not in that moment without him. But, again, if he hits one of the free throws, maybe, maybe things are different. But there was a comedy of errors after that that should not have put the magic in that situation.
2: And, and and to that point, it, it, all respect to Sherman Douglas. If I'm not mistaken, Nick Anderson probably took a turn on on Dominique Wilkins in that first round. Yes, well. yes,
0: thank you as well. Yeah, yeah, that's um, what I was forgetting.
2: Um, but Sherman Douglas, clear cut Hall of Famer in my in my eyes. Um, let's let's wrap let's wrap this up then. And, and let me ask you ask you this: um, mm-hmm. What is a you know if someone is approaching this this team for the first time or doesn't know? the 95 magic story at all, you know, or, you know, you know, someone like you who was, you know, maybe coming from the outside and mm-hmm. heard the, the national stories and didn't maybe know yeah. the on the ground stories. What's the biggest takeaway that, that, that you, you can find about this team. What's, what's, you know, maybe not the you know moral of the story, so to speak, but, but what, what's the thing that you took away from doing this d- documentary project that, that maybe you didn't know about this
0: team before. People know who the Orlando magic are because of that team and all that they accomplished. It is a respected franchise in a small market that not a lot of others in equal footing can say. They came into the league at the same time as the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Magic have been better. Um, You have gotten megastars to come through there. Unfortunately, they don't stay. The lesson you take away from this Magic team is if you're building your team the right way, if you're able to build it through stars, if you're able to do it the right way and make proper key agent, key free agent acquisitions and have a roster that's built to win, you better do it with a sense of urgency because we have learned in the NBA, now more so than ever, it's the Wild West. Every summer, there is going to be a mega shift in power. Something is going to happen. There's going to be another player. Teams fall apart. We love dynasties, but they never last as long as we think. That Orlando Magic team in 94-95 had the makings of a dynasty. And when you think, all right, we don't get it done in 95. We're going to have chances to do it. Brian Hill said this. In no way did I think we were just going to have repeated shots. It was not the fact that I didn't dislike our team or I wasn't confident. But you have too much respect for the game and what the other franchises around the league are doing. Let's not forget about it. You pissed off Michael Jordan. And Michael came back, mad as a hornet, excuse the pun, and and it really derailed it. And you had a young team that knew how to handle success very well. They didn't know how to handle failure. And you get failure to the extent that they did in back-to-back years with embarrassing sweeps, but no one's going to know how to handle it properly. And they didn't. And that's why the breakup is uh, so tumultuous and disappointing.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's well put. Definitely a great way to kind of summarize that team. Uh, He has been Luke Hetrick. Luke, tell you know for for people who maybe missed the the documentary series um, uh, that 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 we did over on Spectrum Mm -hmm. Sports Three Hundred and Sixty. You know where 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 can they find?
0: Well, I am going to be uploading um, in one video uh, all three documentaries. Um, And when I say documentaries, they're not an hour and a half long. This is not the Last Dance. I'm not Jason Hare. Uh, Phil, we know we don't have that many resources to do things like that. <laughs> no, uh, no. These are about these are each about five minutes. Um, I will put them all in one sequence. They will be up on our website later today. Uh, just go to mynews13.com/sports and you can relive all of it. I'll have a little write up on that team and uh, want to thank the Orlando Magic uh, for providing uh, some of the footage, uh, the bulk of the footage uh, throughout this uh, project. They've been very supportive of it. And I want to thank Brian Hill, Jeff Turner, and, and John Gabriel for taking the time out to talk. And Phil, I want to thank you. Uh, because yes, we're coworkers, yes, we're friends. Uh, but you've done an outstanding job of promoting this and helping reshare that story, even though uh the ending isn't what Magic fans want, it is an important uh part of the franchise and who they are and their identity. And I appreciate you sharing that. So thank you.
2: Yeah, and and, and I always I always tell new Magic fans who may not have you know, frankly, there are Magic fans who weren't alive in 95 or, or too mm-hmm. young to remember 95. I'm in that middle zone where I remember parts of that series. I don't remember the finals that well, um, watching it live, but um, I, I, I'm old enough to remember uh, part, parts of that team in that series and what, what it felt like. And, you know, I, I I would always encourage people to go back and watch these old games, even the losses, even the even the bad games, um, yep. because it is, it is an important part of the franchise history. And, and honestly, like a documentary does a great job kind of giving you a a taste of what it was like, but you don't really know till till you watch the game, even if you know the result already. Um, but you know, I think your documentary series did a good job kind of giving people more kind of on the ground look of this entire uh, of this entire playoff run. Um obviously we're we're we're, you know we're not we're not mourning the the loss in the finals. (laughs) We're celebrating the 25th anniversary. Um, you know, and and I think that's it's important to do that. It's important to celebrate your history because, you know, ultimately with that 95 team, the good times Far outweighed the bad times uh, of of that season and of that team. So uh, definitely, thank you for for putting it putting that together. I know I know that's something you wanted to do. We've worked really hard on it, and and I think it's worth sharing and 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 reliving uh, with with Magic fans everywhere. Um, you can find Luke online at L, at um, on Twitter at uh, lh sports TV. Um, you can see him on Spectrum Sports three hundred and sixty. That is every night on my news, on channel thirteen news Spectrum News thirteen uh, at ten thirty. Like I said before. We've referenced it throughout the the podcast. So, for full disclosure, um, I'm a a producer on that show, so I I, I am a little biased. But I I think it's a great show. So, if you are a Spectrum subscriber, check out Spectrum Sports 360 every night at 10:30. Um, It is it's something. I think it's something really rare in in a television market to have a full 30 minute sports show every single night. They cover the Magic, they cover Orlando City, they cover the Orlando Pride, they cover UCF, they cover. Every sport in in town, um, high, high schools too. Um, so if you're an Orlando sports fan, definitely uh, DVR it at least. Um, but check, check us out when you can uh, at 10.30 every night on uh, on Spectrum News 13. Luke, I want to thank you again for coming on and, and chatting with me and, and, and appreciate your time, man.
0: Phil, thank you so much, man. Thank you for the kind words. And yes, everyone out there uh, going to have more magic stuff tonight on Spectrum Sports 360 uh, at 10.30 on Channel 13. So tune in and thank you again very much, Phil. Much appreciated, man.
2: I want to thank Luke again for joining me on the podcast. You can see his full documentary series on his YouTube page. Just search for Luke Hetrick. You can find it as well on MyNews13.com. And of course, be sure to check out Spectrum Sports 360 every night at 10.30 on Spectrum News 13. You can follow Luke on Twitter at LHSportsTV. Don't forget also to check out the latest episode of the Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. On their latest episode, they pass out some fun awards, the best of the NBA be sure to check that out to see their thoughts on who is the best of some fun categories in the NBA. Of course, you can follow this podcast on Twitter at LockedOnMagic. You could follow me on Twitter at philipr__omd. Follow the podcast uh, follow the podcast as well or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, tune in him like Google Play, Spotify, and all the fun places you don't know podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. We'll be back again soon to talk a little bit about Evan Fournier and where the magic have left him and where he will need to pick up when the season resumes. We'll have that coming up later on this week on our next episode of Locked On Magic. But until then, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Rossman Reich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic.
1: You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.